we are bringing the navigators in to be able to fill that gap and to not only enroll our patients, because a lot of folks are engaged in enrolling patients, but actually for our patients to build the skills to feel confident to use the tool. So it's not just the enrollment, it's also the utilization. And that's truly where we think we'll get sustainability and we'll get more impact. So if our patients can also come back and talk to that navigator, oh, I tried to join my video visit, but I couldn't figure it out. Can you help me? That's the type of relationship building that we want to do in the clinic so that our patients have real, true navigation resources, not just a one-off around enrollment. Welcome to the Health Pilots Podcast, presented by the Center for Care Innovations. This podcast is about strengthening the health and well-being of historically underinvested communities. Every episode offers new ideas and practical advice that you can apply today. Hello, everyone. I'm Jessica Ortiz with the Center for Care Innovations. Today, we're talking about one of the exciting projects that Los Angeles Department of Health Services has been developing for several years and has launched about a month ago. Our hope is that by sharing the highs and lows of this solution, safety net organizations can apply the lessons learned to their own challenges. I'm here with Dr. Anshu Abbott and Myra Ramirez two members of our Tech Hub Learning Network, which is a community of 14 tech-forward California-based community health centers, clinic coalitions, and primary care departments and county health systems that are working to accelerate the adoption of innovative technology. We partner with our Hub members to vet, pilot, evaluate, and spread innovative digital health solutions targeting Medicaid markets and historically underinvested communities. We're happy to have you both today. Would you introduce yourselves to our listeners, starting with you, Dr. Abbott? Yes, absolutely. So my name is Ansha Abbott. I am a primary care doctor at Harbor UCLA and the director of patient engagement in the Office of Patient Access here at Los Angeles County Department of Health Services. And just to tell you a little bit about us as an organization, so we care for over half a million patients in Los Angeles County. We have four hospitals and 25 multi-specialty clinics. We cover from the high desert down to Long Beach. So we know Los Angeles is a large place and we uh, serve uh, a lot of different patients here within Los Angeles County, primarily vulnerable populations and those on Medi-Cal. Great, we're happy to have you. And Myra? Hi everyone, my name is Myra Ramirez and I am a staff analyst, program manager for the Office of Patient Access with the Patient Engagement Program. And I assist Dr. Abbott in the different projects, specifically the Health Tech Navigators Program that we launched a month ago. So tell us more about your program. Where did you get started? So I think as we know, in the time of COVID and also before COVID, we've all been working on patient portals and trying to get our patients plugged into patient portals and get access to their health information, appointments, and other features that are available on patient portals. And we began this work, as many did, around 2015 when we launched our new electronic health record um, and as meaningful use came into effect through the federal government. And I think that was a a lot of organizations' first experience with patient portals. But what we found in that time that is that a lot of our patients in the safety net were asking for more navigation. 
So the tool itself was useful when we demonstrated it. But as we tried to work with our clerks and nurses, providers, staff, everyone was very, very busy seeing patients, taking care of patients. And often, you know, it was difficult to have that additional time to really help patients understand what's the value for me? How does this improve my care? How can I access my care 24-7? And it's a very, very different model than 20 years ago in a county health system. A lot of things have changed. A lot of access has changed. So we began to understand that there was really this need for enhanced navigation. And our patients were continually asking for more and more in-person help to get familiar with the tools and to get confident with the tools. So that was our initial thoughts about, hmm, we have this technology tool. It is useful. It's very useful for those who use it. But a lot of our patients don't feel confident and comfortable to access it. And what was the process like in planning for this program? And in thinking about technology broadly, we, we at CCI suggest the framework of making sure there's a mission fit, operational fit, sustainability. Um, this might be a little bit different with the program that you were thinking about, but what was your kind of your framework and process for making this decision? Yeah, so we have now about six years of experience with Patient Portal and the mission fit and operational fit were a little bit more clear. I think mission fit was pretty easy. We wanted our patients to be able to access their information and their care teams very easily online and really avoid having to come into the hospital or the clinic for things that were not necessary. A lot of that is accessing my lab results, accessing my radiology results, reading my doctor's notes. So that mission fit was clear. One thing to kind of uh, support the mission was our work around open notes. So we were a very early adopter of open notes, uh, the largest county health system to adopt open notes in 2018. And the reason we did that is because we wanted that information to be accessible to our patients. We wanted there to be more transparency and accessibility for our patients to read their notes online. On the operational side, I think that's something that we continue to work on, but we know that as our patients can do more around self-service and spend more time getting to know their health information, they come back with very good questions. You know, they come back very engaged in their care. I have patients who come and ask me about their diabetes numbers that they have already reviewed online. So this level of engagement and activation has really changed even in the operational sense. There's always things to work on around operations, like one in particular I know a lot of safety net organizations are working on is messaging. How do I uh, handle the volume of messaging or requests that are coming in? But it does fit with the direction of where we want to go operationally. Then, you know, sustainability is the hardest part. (laughs) And that's the piece where we have been trying to focus more and more and where I think this Navigator program became a clear necessity. So how do we have our patients have the resources they need to feel confident in using these digital tools? A lot of our patients tell us, you know, I don't feel that comfortable. I don't feel confident. I'd like to build skills, but, you know, can you do it with me in person? And the reality is, you know, our clerks and nurses and providers are very busy in the clinic. A 30-minute session on navigating the patient portal was just not something that was really sustainable for our staff. So we are bringing the navigators in to be able to fill that gap. 
and to not only enroll our patients, because a lot of folks are you know, engaged in enrolling patients, but actually for our patients to build the skills to feel confident to use the tool. So it's not just the enrollment, it's also the utilization. And that's truly where we think we'll get sustainability and we'll get more impact. So if our patients can also come back and talk to that navigator, oh, I tried to join my video visit, but I couldn't figure it out. Can you help me? That's the type of relationship building that we want to do in the clinic so that our patients have real, true navigation resources, not just a one-off around enrollment. A follow-up question to your, your navigators. Do they have a panel of patients that they typically support? Um, and, and if they do, how many patients can one navigator support? So our navigator model is not as focused right now yet on the longitudinal support of patients um, formally. So, you know, if you think about other community health worker programs, you might say community health worker can have 20 patients that they're engaging with at any given time or some particular panel or rotating panel. Our navigators in this case are actually working with patients in the waiting room and also with the clinical teams to be able to do the initial piece around helping the patient get comfortable to enroll, but then also being able to help with additional features, making sure they can navigate the patient portal. So we are in the realm of community health workers, but I think that the health tech navigator is a little bit of a different role. Over time, I hope that we can develop more longitudinal relationships. And we're actually exploring some opportunities for that right now. You know, could we add a health tech navigator into chronic disease management so that it's not just the initial features of the portal, uh, of course, like getting enrolled, being able to use it for the majority of tasks, but can I submit my blood pressure to my provider on the portal? Or can I review my A1C and come prepared to my provider visit to talk about my diabetes? That I think is the direction we'd like to move in over time. But right now, the navigators are really trying to approach a large amount of patients. And we think that you know each month, they will interact with several hundred patients. And have you developed a process or a, a measurement tool to find out where the patient might be on their digital journey and where they might need this navigator support? That is a great question. And I, it's a question actually I get asked a lot. Um, we had done an initial study using the eHeal survey. So it's like an electronic health literacy survey, but it's quite a long survey. So if you're approaching one person you know, to talk to them individually, uh, you can't really go through a 20-question survey. <laughs> so we're still in the process of figuring that out. And I'm actually curious if you have any resources that you have been hearing about on this great podcast that others are using. I know we've had some discussions within the CCI Hubs group. We haven't landed on a particular model. Sometimes we have a couple of questions that we ask, but we don't have a formal model that we've been using for quick assessment of both health literacy, electronic or digital health literacy. And Myra, do you have something to add? Yeah. So prior to even, I think, launching this program, um, there has been a lot of research in terms of the digital divide among Americans. And so the PEW Research Center, you know, they did a survey as to how many patients in our um, county use smartphones. And, you know, it, there has been results to show that lower income Americans have lower levels of technology adoption. And so we, we have used research done by other entities to 
influence and to create impact in our program. And so we, though we don't have something developed, there are a lot of tools already informing our systems. And I think that's a good point that uh, Myra is bringing up. So, you know, we certainly understand some of the trends. I think that's what's influenced us a lot. And I think what Myra is mentioning is that, you know, that we see trends across um, income groups in some of these national surveys that have been done. And we see also this trend that I think a lot of us uh, know well in the work that we do around smartphone dependence. So we know that our our patients are typically more likely to depend on their smartphone for internet access versus cable internet, which you know typically is very, very, very expensive. And therefore, that's also been a big part of our design. So a lot of the way that we assess and that we design is around mobile because we know 80% of our patients actually access on mobile. And if we talk to the neighboring health systems here in Los Angeles, that's actually very different than the neighboring health system. Maybe changing a little now because mobile apps have become more advanced and more people are accessing their patient portals or other apps like video visits through their phone. But we have always had more smartphone dependence than our neighbors. How difficult or easy it is, is it to support multiple languages? We are really intentional about how we deliver services to our patients. And we do have access to a multitude of language translation services through our call center. And so right now, all of our patients, no matter what language they speak, are getting serviced in, you know, getting information about the portal. Um, it's super easy to connect to um, you know, our translation services that are that are um that the county has actually put a lot of attention to in the last recent months. And so we are proud to say that we're probably one of the few entities that does strive to do a very holistic um, approach to patients, not only from listening to patients' needs, but also catering to the language gap that exists often in um, healthcare um, settings. And so even in person, once our staff is providing these services to patients on site, they also have access to this call center. And so our approach has been that if a patient needs, you know, an Armenian translator, a, a Chinese translator, we can access this, this service really fairly quickly. So that has been going on and it's been working really well as well so far. And one piece I think to add on to the language side is, you know, we do have our patient portal fully available in Spanish. And one thing that we've tried to work concertedly with our electronic health record vendor on is that that portal is truly the same as the English portal. And, you know, there's still, I would say, challenges around that, but we want our patients to be able to access their portal in language. Now, right now we support English and Spanish, and we would need some technology improvement to be able to support other languages. And for us, those languages would likely be Armenian and Mandarin Cantonese. Uh, but we have made a lot of progress, I think, on our Spanish portal, but continually need to improve that and do testing around that. So that's been one of the great boons of the program, the Health Tech Navigators, is that a lot of our program staff are bilingual. And so even this morning, you know, we were in troubleshooting around a link that was going out in the Spanish email. And so sometimes that attention to details can really help inform our vendor that might not have as many Spanish-speaking patients or folks that test products. 
to be able to send that feedback back and hopefully improve it for everyone who uses some of these services nationally. And how have you involved your, your EHR vendor in your vision? How much of that is kind of a partnership? And how much of that is, is work that you have to do on your own? So, you know, we are in a county health system. And so one of our challenges, you know, if I had a, my menu of options, I would have a whole developer team that would create the solutions um, that exactly of what we need, you know, but that's very hard to do. And especially in um, these public uh, health settings. So we have to work with our vendor quite a bit and work with our vendor to take on, you know, some new products and new solutions. I will say, and I, you know, they know this uh, very candidly as well, that there's a long way to go on the vendor side in understanding our patients and understanding our language diversity. And so that's something that we continue to try to work on together. Uh, but really, you know, I really think that it's an opportunity for co-design from the get-go with our patients and community members and those that are limited English proficient. So I do think that's a gap in a lot of the technology that's being adopted or being created is that co-design is often not happening. So yes, that's a big opportunity. It's something we continue to work on. Of course, uh, you know, there are certain needs that we have that we would like to be able to do a little differently, like self-scheduling is one of those things through our particular solution. But we just continue to kind of work together and, and chip away at things and give the feedback of our patients. And I think that's the most useful is our patient experience, patient feedback, engaging our patient family advisory hubs, and trying to bring that to our vendor to do testing from the get-go or co-design from the get-go. To clarify for listeners, uh, EHR is electronic health record. So can you share a little bit more about your program, your Health Tech Navigator program? Maybe we can start with you, Myra. Our Health Tech Navigator program aims to enroll patients into our patient portal that has recently been um, renovated into what it is now. And prior to having our Health Tech Navigators, we were having staff on in clinics and hospitals enroll patients. But like Dr. Abbott mentioned earlier, there's been some challenges with patients getting the full scope of what the portal is, understanding truly what they can access. And so our Health Tech Navigator program came about the need to increase utilization of the portal and to increase the healthcare accessibility gap that exists within our community. So our navigators were selected based on skill sets, based on communication, adaptability, cultural humility, cultural competency. And so our program truly caters to our community's needs. And it's kind of a sense of for the community, by the community model. And the reason I say that, for one, all of our tech navigators are coming from the communities that they serve. And they truly understand the needs that our patients are in dire need. And so our program caters to that part of uh, the healthcare need or the health or the healthcare gap. In addition, our navigators are trained by me, Dr. Abad, and our other uh, tech leads to truly understand how the portal works in and out. We are innovating our ways of communication through phone calls, text messaging, emails, in-person services, so this program is meant to increase all of our enrollments, but also 
it does more than just, you know, talking to patients. It truly caters to the needs and experience for the patient. And so we leave or we, our goal is to not only enroll, but also make sure that patients are using the portal from now on. And our portal is truly very easy to navigate. We have made it into a very patient user-friendly portal. So we hope that the changes that we, that Dr. Abad has pushed through are truly making a difference in like accessing information for the patients. Okay, and a follow-up question to that. If another organization wanted to follow in your footsteps, would you advise them to recruit from existing staff or go out into the community and, and recruit members of the community? When I joined Dr. Abad's team, I came from a uh, another program that was called Whole Person Care. We had done a community engagement strategy to increase our services for in, um, for reentry for folks who were exiting the system, and so and to reintegrate them into community. And so when I came and I joined Dr. Abad's team, I knew that um, when this was this opportunity was presented, that the best way to recruit or to truly have engagement in our um, healthcare system for our patients was to recruit outside of, of the organization. For one, because our community health worker model, it encompasses a strategy to recruit from the community. And so we look for certain, for certain skill sets and for cultural competencies that make the community health worker a very um, special person that can truly engage patients. And though our staff are more than competent to engage patients, we truly feel that our navigator role cannot be fulfilled more perfectly than our community members. I am a social worker, so I feel like me and Dr. Abad have a really good combination. Her being a doctor, me being a social worker, I bring the community perspective of things. Dr. Abad brings more like the data and the healthcare system needs. And so when we both put our minds together, we were able to come up with the idea of recruiting, you know, community members that represent their communities. And though it wasn't easy to put it forward into the community, when we got applicants, we were looking for certain skill sets. And by certain skill sets, I mean someone who can speak the language, can understand the patient needs, understands the barriers that exist of within healthcare and the community, understands, you know, how patient engagement can be um, complex due to our complex needs, our patient complex needs, and who, you know, is willing to put in the work to understand. And so our staff most of the time is engaged in their own day-to-day jobs, and they do amazing jobs within the healthcare setting. So we needed someone that didn't come from that so that they can be fully present for the patient. And it's also just really wonderful to hear that the two of you make such a powerful team that complement each other so well. Yeah, is there anything else that you'd like to share about the ins and outs of the program with, with listeners um, before we go into some of the top highlights and challenges? I want to share something before we, we move on to the other question. Um, I want to just inform listeners that even though this... Um, program is not perfect because we are working through challenges and by and we're going to go into that more later. We do take pride in the fact that we are doing something different for patients. We're going out of the norm as of what the county usually 
you know, as, as to what the county can provide. And so I'm so thankful and appreciative to Dr. Abad for really pushing through this grant. And I'm so excited for what's to come and what can result from this. I think that just us putting this forward has been very revolutionary for our patients. We're showing the community that we truly care about their healthcare and their accessibility to healthcare. And I can't wait to see um, our patients be more involved in their care, hopefully increasing our patient health and communication. And so, you know, more to come in the next few months. Yeah. And I just want to add, you know, we've seen a lot of different versions of Navigator programs, and we have iterated a lot of different versions of Navigator programs. So I can tell you the number of volunteers I have trained personally at my site. And we learned a lot from it. And a lot of that was the sustainability piece, but a lot of it was also the intention piece. And I think that's something I learned over time, but that I think is truly very special with Myra and her role and the experience that she comes in with um, as a community member, as a social worker, as someone who's very tied to the community. I think that's the secret sauce. I think that's what's different about this versus what I have seen in other um, places and programs. Sometimes people come at it from a tech lens. They say, let me hire some people onto the IT staff and they will go around and they'll talk to patients because it might actually be easier to hire people that way. I mean, I think logistically it's easier, but I think that the that lens that Myra was talking about, you know, cultural humility and really being a member of the community, that's the success we're, we're already seeing. I mean, we have a couple of navigators that just landed on site last week and they're already, I mean, the numbers are amazing. And of course, I like the data. So I like to see the numbers. I like to see our enrollments. But more than that, you know, it's the feel we will get with our patients over time of feeling supported and feeling supported in something that they don't feel as confident in. And I know that that's where we will go with this. So I totally agree with Myra. There's just some sort of, um, maybe it's a combination of our skill sets and forces and, and you know mission and drive, but the piece around community doesn't always come forth in technology adoption. And I think she's done a really excellent job of bringing that into the program. Yeah, this is an incredibly exciting work that you all are doing and you know, making something that I think for folks can be really intimidating sometimes with technology, having someone that is more relatable, more relational to kind of get through those next steps. So with that, what has been the top highlight so far? What is something you really want to shout out about the program? Well, I would say for me, you know, it's been a very joyful time to be able to see our navigators getting trained and starting to make their way to our clinical sites. And something about it, I mean, it's it's a lot of young people who are bilingual, who are of the community, who really bring a tremendous energy that sometimes you don't feel in technology adoption. (laughs) And so I think that that's just been a great joy for me to meet these team members, you know, a lot of them will be doing a lot of different things in their careers. And so it's very exciting to 
meet them at this point in their careers and you know they may be post-education or they may be thinking about a health profession or thinking about public health thinking about social work you know we get to have all these great conversations uh, with these young minds who are really really committed and dedicated to improving care in their communities so for me that's been a tremendous highlight the people part of things that I think sometimes we've really missed in the pandemic is that human connection and getting to know each other and getting to know each other outside of our comfort zone. They're just a fantastic group that, you know, Myra has recruited and hired. And so it's been a joy already to work with them. Aside from us seeing already an increase in enrollments through our on-site staff and, you know, navigating the troubleshoot questions that do come up and providing that support, I think another highlight to recognize is the fact that we are a very tight group in terms of uh, communication. So our navigators are not going to have all the answers and neither will I, but we are always able to communicate with one another and find out um, answers. So it very does seem like our program is, is not, it's working because everyone is in sync and everyone is in communication with one another. In addition, all of our health tech navigators are very tech savvy. So they have even taught like me and, and, you know, other people, other navigators on how to even make things better. You know, we have one of them who came up with the idea of even giving patients their information through a card. And even though we don't want that <laughs> to be the case, but he's just very innovative, creative. It's really, truly nice and very um it feels so good to know that our patients are, not our patients, but our staff is really going out of their way to make this work for the patient. So that just goes to show that, you know, they're invested in the care of our patients and that this is beyond just enrollment. It's truly to bridge that gap. And so that's something that I've ingrained in them when the training happened, you know, uh, reminders here and there. And I do want to highlight that I'm very big on self-care. So I do emphasize that on our, our on our Teltic navigators that if they need to take a break from you know patient engagement because it can be overwhelming, to please do take that break, come back strong. And so I think that reiteration of taking care of yourself first and taking care of your needs has been working really well in them feeling motivated and and you know continuing to put in hundred percent in what they do. And one other highlight, I know we have lots of things that we're excited about. You know, it's been really um, fun also because this workforce is very flexible. And so trying new things is not, uh, it's pretty easy, you know, which is uh, really fun. So one thing we're even doing now and um, Myra and I are exploring with this group is bi-directional texting around patient portal support. And so, you know, how do you, better utilize uh, when you have a patient on the phone, let's say you try to enroll them or they're in the clinic and they're going into the room to get their blood pressure checked, trying to create more of a relationship that might be through a bidirectional text, which might be more convenient for the patient or through other mechanisms. And so we have been wanting to explore these technologies for a while. We needed both the staff to be able to support it and also a better understanding of the technology. And we are really figuring that out now. And so we've made some progress even today, which is very exciting. But it's been great to see how do we how do we extend a relationship through technology? You know, that in-person contact that you make in the waiting room, 
but there's just not enough time. How do you extend that? And our navigators are teaching us that as they're in um, the clinical spaces and they're coming up with ideas. And so that's been um, a lot of fun to see and certainly a highlight. That's really exciting. Lots of highlights here, right? Really joyful, important work. And for folks that are thinking about maybe trying this approach and, and starting their own program, could you share with folks what your biggest challenges have been in getting this program started and implementing? You know, this program has been kind of six years in vision. So for anyone who feels like, how will I get this up and running? Do not feel bad. <laughs> it will take time. That is okay. You know, I think the hardest thing for us was uh, probably around funding. You know, funding, I think for everyone is, is a challenge, especially around something that is not as typical in the playbook, right? I think that primary care has really evolved and the support of primary care and the safety net, especially in the state of California, we're very, very, very fortunate. I recognize that, you know, that we have behavioral health integration and that we continue to iterate on that model, that we have care managers, you know, but we, don't have as much of a framework around technology adoption. Though we know it fits into chronic disease management, it fits into mental health, that it is a key supporting tool to be able to have patients access care. We don't really have a framework for it. So I would say, I think that creating that framework in your health system and getting some of that buy-in and bringing the funding along with it, I think that has been the biggest challenge, you know. And that's why we tried to do so many different versions of this program before we landed where we are now. Um, that work was informative. It was helpful. Uh, but at the same time, I, I think that impact will be much larger with this kind of dedicated uh, approach and, and, you know, intensive training and such. So I would say from a challenge perspective, just trying to get up and running uh, from a logistic and finance perspective was my biggest challenge. And I know that you've been, you know, planning for this and iterating for a long time. I'm curious, how did COVID-19 factor into this program and, and what was it like to innovate in the middle of a pandemic? Yeah, so, you know, when you look nationally, a lot of patient portal numbers increased significantly during COVID as patients were trying to access care. But that number was less so in the safety net. And I think a lot of it is around this navigation confidence. And that's not entirely true. I think there are a lot of safety net organizations that really were able to increase enrollment. You will notice some differences across vendors, actually, if you look at data. And I think that tells you a little bit about the friendliness of the product. One thing that we were able to do during COVID is say, look, we want to be able to deliver a better experience of our patient portal. We want to have our own organization app. We want an LA Health Services app. So it's much easier to find in the app store so that our patients know that it's us. It's a you know cleaner a product. And we want to deliver video visits through that app. So we were able to use some of that momentum of what we learned during COVID. Look, access is number one. Access is king. How do we improve access in a situation where patients can't necessarily come in to the clinic to access services? So of course, like everyone, we did phone visits and video visits, but there was a more defined need access point 
for other types of services like getting your health information, um, checking your appointments, filling out forms, those types of things. So it just, I think, became much more obvious than um, when we were previously talking about it over the last, you know, the few years prior to the pandemic. So that led to our virtual healthcare project. And that's where we were able to launch our new LA Health Portal, which we actually just launched on November 30th. And that I think is part of the alignment also with the Navigators program. Sometimes you need something new to get people excited, you know, and you need an enhancement to get people excited. And I think that our own app and improved interface and integrated video visits is a lot of good new things to get people excited. And also to kind of bring staff along and then bring the navigator support along. So in some ways, we launched on November 30th and we're kind of uh, chasing, if you will, with our navigators so that you know we have a new product, but we're actually putting in-person support for our patients into the clinic. And of course, they're not just in-person support for patients. They're really a lot of in-person support for staff because we know during the year of COVID-19 and I think Myra and I can both attest to this because we're both providers. You know, I'm primary care and hospital and did a lot of hospital work this year. Myra is a social worker and we're both clinical in some capacity. And so we understand burnout. <laughs> um, and we understand that it's not fair to put on new technology and not actually provide staff support for understanding that technology. So a lot of the motivation with our navigators is, yes, it's patient support, but it's also staff support. It's also getting our staff confident in using these tools because our staff and patients are not always that different. And so being able to... Our staff don't feel good if they say, I don't know what the portal looks like. If somebody asks me a question, I don't feel like I can answer that question. That they, We don't want our staff to feel that way. We want them to feel like, I've seen it. I know the tool. I have the test login. And if somebody asked me a question, I would be able to answer it. I'm more inclined to sell it because, or to, to promote it because I know what it is and I know how useful it is. So that's also kind of our how COVID has woven into some of the work that we've done, but how we're trying to approach it with both patients and staff. All right. And as we wrap it up here, any last advice that, that you have for folks that are thinking about implementing a similar program? I would say that in order to see changes in healthcare accessibility and increased utilization of systems and to truly cater to the population you serve, you need to try new things. Though they may seem hard to pull forward due to obviously funding and just what the process looks like to onboard folks. I would suggest you to just do it because a lot of great things can come up from new ideas. It's always a good challenge to push yourself um, beyond your borders or beyond what um, you know the boundaries that are set. And so it's not easy, but if you have a good team, it's anything is possible. Just alone, I think Dr. Abad and I have accomplished to do new things that we never thought or the county didn't think it was possible to do. And so I think it's very exciting to do this for, for our patients. And yeah, I think it's do it, strategize. It takes a lot of planning, but it takes one small step to, to get going. So yeah, and I think that for, you know, I agree. I think with, when it comes to technology adoption, especially with our patients, 
I agree. I think it's do it. You know, if you have the gut sense that you need more navigation, you need more navigation. <laughs> uh, if you think that that's one of the barriers, it's not just the technology, but it is the confidence around it. I would say really lean into that and figure it out. Talk to your patients, talk to your patient family advisory councils, and really get to the core of it because an expectation in healthcare now, and it should be across all sectors. And I will say we have much more to work through in our setting, but we can work through it. So I would say lean into it, figure it out, and um, try to get something started. As far as the future, you know, I think we really have the vision that we can provide a lot of services and a lot of access to our patients online or through the mechanisms that they are most comfortable with. So yes, we're talking about a digital tool right now. We're talking about an app or, or something that's on a website. But part of why we want to do that is because we know some of our patients need high touch and some of our patients need high tech. We were actually just having this discussion with the whole CalAIM, which is the new Medi-Cal waiver and enhanced care management. Typically, those patients need a lot of high touch the high tech can supplement the high touch for the right patient. But as we get more of our patients having access, let's say 50% of our patients have good access online, that starts to free up our phone lines for our patients who really need to call us. It also frees up our care managers to be able to focus on patients that need things like more enhanced support. So what we're trying to do is kind of spread out the access in the ways that our patients want to access us and that it's truly patient-centered. And, you know, as a human being, I prefer to text rather than call a lot of the time. I can't right now text my health system about that appointment that I need changed. We want to be able to do that. We want to be able to deliver services that are truly human and patient-centered, where patients are stating their preferences and that we are engaging in that manner. So that's the direction that we're trying to move in is really understanding our patients understanding their individual needs or their family needs and supporting that so that healthcare is not as hard as it honestly is right now. We really want an easy button for healthcare. If you are trying to access care and become more healthy or modify your risk factors, it doesn't have to be really hard. It should be really easy. So that's the direction that we're really trying to move to. And we understand that that's tough in public settings and tough in sometimes medical settings, but we aim to get there and I think we've made strides. So we'll continue on that mission. Great. Well, I know that we're all really excited to follow up on, on what you're doing um, now with this program and into the future. Thank you so much, Dr. Anshu Abbott and Myra Ramirez for joining us, sharing your experience and expertise and your passion for taking care of the communities that you serve. Um, we've been really grateful to have you. Thank you for having us. Thank you.